Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Joining me by phone this morning, Tim Young Eagle, Executive Director, Lutheran Indian Ministries. Tim, welcome back to Faith and Family. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks. A pleasure to have you with us today and to learn more about uh, Lutheran Indian Ministries. Uh, Tim, you've been serving in this position now. Is it? It's been about a year, hasn't it? Just under a year. Just under a about year. Ten and a half months so far. Mm-hmm. What have you learned in your uh, in your time with Lutheran Indian Ministries and the the, the work that they're doing uh, that you're doing uh, and the, the many who serve with Lutheran Indian Ministries? What have you learned about this uh, this ministry across the U.S. Well, across North America, well, really. What a great question. I mean, there is so much to learn. The, the, the diverse cultures of of the tribes of Native Americans and how they view uh, Christianity, the various experiences that they've had at the hands of missionaries and church bodies who have uh, brought the gospel to them um, in various forms uh, has been most interesting. Um, trying to understand uh, historic resistance to to the gospel um, and, and also those who embrace the gospel has been really a, a meaningful experience for me. Hmm. Let, tell me a little bit more about historic resistance to the gospel and what what you mean by that. What is that? What has brought this uh, resistance to the gospel? Well, five hundred years of evangelism has taught us that that Native Americans have experienced a very mixed bag uh, from the various church bodies. If, for instance, you look at a place like Alaska, there were a number of church bodies that penetrated the Alaskan interior and the coastlines, and and they actually territorially claimed those areas. So if you go up into Alaska, you'll find that there's an Episcopal area, and there's a Catholic area, and there's a Protestant area. What you won't find, unfortunately, is that there's there's not a Lutheran area up there, uh, because we didn't get up there with with much of of a plan many years ago. But, but when you go up into those villages, if you don't represent one of those church bodies, the church bodies are territorial and they're very protective, and the result is, is that it makes it more difficult to work with the, uh, the, the people from the villages up there. I, I think you find that true across the country when you encounter uh, Native people, especially on reservations, that, um, that, that they have been embraced by a church body, and that church body seems to feel a sense of ownership of that tribe or of that geographical area. And so going in and trying to do something with those people can be a bit of a challenge. From a historical resistance perspective, um, it's quite simple. Tribes for 500 years have listened to the gospel presented them very differently from all different church bodies. So we all speak from the same book, but, but we've all interpreted the book very differently. And so it leaves a lot of Native people wondering, what is the truth, first of all? And second of all, why did the church bodies that came were supposed to be helping the Indians, why were they used by the government as a tool for assimilation, and in some cases for for persecution? Such a... a, so much more there to to dig into. (laughs) How how have uh, approaches... Uh, to evangelism changed throughout time, even just among uh, even just among Lutherans in in evangelism or uh, ministry to uh, Native people. Well, the, the the premise that that much evangelism was was founded on was that Native Americans were heathen, and all of their practices were somewhat satanic. 
And so the only way that a Native American person could become a Christian is to forsake their Indianness and become Christian. So in essence, Native people were asked to have a blood transfusion and completely forsake the culture that, that, that they knew and become something that they were not. And, and, and from a practical standpoint, become something that they never could. Um, and that was in the pursuit of Christianity. I think what's different or what's become very different is, is the understanding that you can be Indian and Christian at the same time, that they are not exclusive to one another, that God made Indians just as he made people from every other culture and race. What does that look like? What does a, a, a Lutheran Indian look like? Can you give us an example well, I, the, the Lutheran, because the Word of God is unchanging, and, and the Word of God is colorblind, and, and frankly, it, it is blind to culture because it's one book with one truth, um, Lutheran Indians should look like every other Lutheran hmm. in America or anywhere else for that matter. Um, but I think the difference is, is how that, that, that culture expresses their faith. Um, and, and the belief was at one time that anything that was related to Native culture, be it the drum or the dance or, or, or certain foods, um, was inherently satanic or, or heathen. And so you couldn't bring any of that culture into the Church. I think the understanding that you can bring much of the richness of the Native American culture into the Church and, and that it adds to the color of the Church is something that's really important, especially for Native people, to know that they are accepted for who they are. I was talking to a pastor earlier this week, and I said, you know, that beautiful hymn, Just As I Am, really applies to Native people. God accepts us, and God loves us just as we are, all sinners, but he also created the diverse cultures that we all come from, and there's beauty in all of them. How is... How has uh, culture changed among Native Americans in in that time? We, you've you've referenced the last five hundred years, you know, when talking about evangelism or or ministry to uh, to Native Americans. Has culture among Native Americans changed as well during that time? Yes, absolutely. It, it, as with every other culture, the culture has evolved and changed. And it's funny because some of the notions or some of the ideas that we get about culture are things that have evolved and we believe that they're traditions. Oftentimes you'll, you'll hear when you're talking to Native Americans that, that I am a traditional Indian. And what that means is that they believe in traditional practices and beliefs. Now the belief there is that you can't be a traditional Indian and be a Christian at the same time. But I think what a lot of Native Americans forget is that their culture has um, evolved and changed over time. And one great story that one of our staff members tells frequently is that, is that at a funeral, it's, a, it's, a, it's become a, it's a custom to take all of the possessions of the person who is deceased and to put it on a barge and light it on fire and float it out into the water. And, and they think that that's a very spiritual thing. And Someone asked an elder woman, "Why? well, why do we do that? And she said, well, it was never a spiritual thing. The problem was that we had diseases like smallpox, and nobody wanted to touch the person's belongings. So he put it on a barge and floated it out in the water after they died. <laughs> so some customs become customs, and nobody remembers how they became that way, and they become accepted as traditions, and they're not necessarily so. The, the biggest thing that has happened in Native American culture is at least 70% of Native Americans now live in cities. 
And so you've got you've got different groups of native people. You've got fully assimilated natives who predominantly live in cities, and they look like most other people. They have jobs, and they, they went to school, um, and, they, and they live in homes. And then you've got partially assimilated, where they kind of straddle between two worlds. They, they, will, they will straddle between the traditional world, and they'll straddle between the, 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 the more dominant culture world, but they bounce back and forth between the two. And then you've got, you've got the very traditional, and, and those are typically people that have grown up or live on reservations. And and, the way, and your approach to evangelism is different for all three of those groups because they come from different places. Mm-hmm. How is what role does family life play in in Native American culture? And and I know when I, I, I'm I, I'm really speaking broadly here. I know there are many tribes, and and so mm-hmm. there are different cultures among different tribes. Uh, speaking in more general terms, what role does family life play um, and the, the family structure play in uh, Native American culture in in tribal life? Well, family is extremely important to, to the culture of Native people, no matter where you are, whether you're assimilated Native American or partially assimilated uh, Native American or whether you, you grew up on a reservation. Family is important, and, and, and there's a lot of points of connection. Um, I have ancestors in Oklahoma, some of whom I've never met, but I know how I'm connected to them, or I know that I'm connected to them. And and, and things like Facebook have enhanced those connections, but, but family life and family living is extremely important. Now, that being said, I will tell you that, that the sinful world that we, we live in has certainly crept into the Native culture, and so problems like uh, teen pregnancy and, and divorce and, and children out of wedlock um, – uh, all of those things have come into play. Uh, there are significant numbers of Native American men who are in prison. And so so the sinful world has, has just like it has everywhere else, disrupted the family life and, and, and eroded the family culture of Native people. And, and, and the other thing that I think is very different amongst Native people in particular is that a lot of tribes are... Or matriarchal, which means that women have a a very dominant and very powerful role in in, in the tribal culture, and uh, and that's quite different, I think, from the dominant culture. So, what does what about um, you know from the connection from generation to generation today? You know, speaking of the the dominant culture, you know, we live in many of us live in homes where only one um you know or or two generations live in a household it, it's it, it's usually parents and kids uh, live yeah. in a household and depicted in, in as i see native people depicted in in media and in films uh, we see multiple generations living and learning and growing together uh, from one another Yes, absolutely, and especially on reservations, you'll see multiple generations and multiple families living under one roof. Um, that's both good and bad. I think it's great that Native people take care of one another the way that they do, um, but the housing situations, especially on reservations, are typically not very good, and so the result is that you you may have 20 people living in a double-wide trailer on a reservation in South Dakota or North Dakota or places like that. And, and you will find children from several family uh, living in, in, in those in those places. So um, 
the, the nuclear family amongst Native people exists to a greater degree for those who are in, in the cities um, because the Native people tend to blend into the city. There's not, if you go to a city, you don't see a Native American section, although I know that there is one up in Minneapolis, but, but that's a rarity. If you go to places like uh, Albuquerque or Phoenix or Los Angeles, um, where they have significant Native populations, you don't find, as you do other other uh, ethnic populations, a Mexican part of town or, or a, a, a Asian part of town or Hispanic part of town. You don't find a Native American part of town. So, so finding the Native American people in, in cities is much more difficult. How does then, how do Lutheran Indian ministries reach out and connect to these Native people to bring the gospel of Jesus, to bring the good news of Christ crucified for sins to Native people? Well, it's a great question. You know, first of all, if the question is where do we find the Native people, the reservations have been, um, or the remote areas of America are where we have been predominantly. We have significant presence up in Alaska and the villages up in Alaska. Uh, we have a presence on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico. Um, uh, we have some in Hawaii. Interestingly enough, the dynamics of Hawaiian people are very similar to the dynamics of, of Native American people here on the lower 48. Um, so, so we we find them we find them in those places, and, and that's a bit easier. We have not had the presence in the city that I think we need to have, and and that's a that's a new initiative for us to create. Um, uh, alliances and partnerships with congregations in cities where we know there are significant uh, Native populations and, and, and doing outreach to Native people through powwows and through gatherings. Native people still get together in those cities, and if we can create a presence in those places, then we can do outreach to the Native people. In terms of how we go about doing that, I, I think that, that um, it serves us well to remember that there's a four-chapter gospel at play here. There's creation, there's the fall, there's redemption, and then there's restoration. And oftentimes we act as if we are going to start the play after the intermission. We walk in only with the message of redemption. And, and what's really missing for many Native American people is the notion of sin or the fall. They understand creation, but then we jump over, over the fall and we go right to redemption. And Native people who don't grow up with that innate knowledge of sin or what sin looks like, because they don't have that as part of their culture, don't understand why they need a Savior. That and is so filling in that gap is critical for their acceptance. That's significant. That's that's extremely significant. If you if it you is. don't have the law, do you have any need for the gospel? Exactly. The, the law reveals us as sinners, and and absent that mirror, that reflection that we see ourselves as sinners. We don't understand the need for the gospel, so what that what happens when you present the gospel to Native people without sharing the law with them as well is they don't understand the need for a Savior. So who is Jesus, and why does he love me, and why did he save me, and why did I need saving are the questions that mm-hmm. we find most often. Sure, why does it matter uh, if if there is no sin? <clears throat> hmm. And they and they understand creation. Most most Native American cultures, in fact, virtually all Native American cultures, have creation as part of their story. And they all look forward to a day of redemption. But they think the redemption, the restoration, is going to take place here on this earth. And they don't understand that there's a heavenly redemption and a heavenly heavenly restoration that's in store for us. And the reason for that need is 
sin. Tell me about the the people of Lutheran Indian Ministries who are bringing this good news of Jesus and where they're serving to uh, to bring this good news. Well, we, we've get, we're blessed with a tremendous staff of people, and, and, and like so many other organizations, we're, we're, we're in the midst of, of some changes, which we think are great. We've added some people. Uh, we have a, a new young lady who's going to be moving up to Fairbanks this summer, uh, Carissa, who has been a volunteer for four years up in the villages and now, and now is going to be coming on staff with us. Um, She'll be working up there in addition to, to David Rosemary Sternbeck, who have done a great job up there for six years, uh, coordinating volunteers and, and uh, vacation Bible school groups that go out to the villages, out to the most remote areas. And she'll also be helping with a teen camp, uh, which we're going to be having again this year um, in a couple of weeks. We have 35 kids coming from villages to teen camp in, in Fairbanks, which we're really excited about. Last year, six kids were baptized at teen hmm. camp. And so what an amazing blessing that was. Um, we have a new young man named Ben Maxson who's going to be taking over for Winston Wilson, who's retiring up in Nia Bay at McCall Lutheran. Uh, he'll be entering the SMP program uh, this fall, and we're excited about the work that Ben is going to be doing up in Nia Bay. And uh, Bob Pru, who recently completed his deacon training, uh, will be taking over the ministry at the Haskell Lighthouse. So we've got some new people coming in that we're very excited about. Um, in addition to those people, uh, um, we have uh, um, one of our staff members, uh, Rick McCaffrey, who is now a vicar working at Anchorage Lutheran, uh, and that's exciting. Um, and then Clarence Deloot out in uh, Hawaii. And, and uh, uh, Tim Norton is going to be ordained this fall, uh, and he is our guy down at uh, uh, the uh, Navajo Reservation. And, and uh, Tom and Kathy Benzler continue to do amazing work. Uh, up in the Port Angeles area with the Native people in that area. You mentioned a, a number of baptisms among youth. What what does what's the um, how is baptism received uh, among the uh, among Native people among the particular groups where you you mentioned that there have been a large number of baptisms? How how do you even how, how do you talk about baptism? I'm sure as gift language, but how do you talk about baptism? How is it received? Before, before these kids are baptized, we, typically that's something that happens at the end of teen camp. So um, during the course of teen camp, um, they're engaged in, in, in both um, learning about their own culture. So we teach them things like how to, how to skin sew and, and how to make toys and, and, and native foods and things like that to try to keep the native culture alive. But we spend significant amount of time in studying the Bible. And this is where we, we, we put all the pieces together for them and help them to understand what baptism means and why it's an important uh, means of grace for us. And and um, and so these are kids that come to us and say, I want that. I want to be baptized. Mm. Uh, we've had kids stand up and say, you've been baptized. I want that, too, because they now understand that they're sinful and that this, this act of baptism washes away their sins and makes them one with the Spirit, and, 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 and demonstrates their love for Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. So it's an incredibly important thing for these kids, and it's one of the reasons why these kids come back over and over and over again to teen camp, because that's where they experience the opportunity to, to know Jesus and, and to understand that they now have eternal life. What does that 
mean then for their families? How has that been received by their their parents? Have you uh, heard responses from their families or, or others in their community as these teens go back with this gospel message? It's an incredibly powerful thing for these kids to go to, to understand that that through baptism they are now a child of the living God, and it's an it, it's an amazing experience for them to know that that Jesus loves them and that He died for them, and it gives them a sense of self worth that they didn't have previously. So many of our kids grow up in a world of hopelessness. It's why the the incidences of teen suicides amongst Native Americans is so high because of the hopelessness that, that these kids feel in their hearts. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ, that changes everything. All of a sudden, you're, you're not just a part of a tribe, but you're a part of a kingdom. And, and, and that, that flips the scripts for these kids. And so they have a purpose in life that they didn't know that they had before. And so they go back and they share that purpose with their parents. In a lot of cases, these kids are evangelists to their families and their villages. And they go back and share the love of Jesus with them and tell them what they have experienced and what a difference that that has made. In places like Navajo, in some cases, that's resulted in entire families, including the parents, being baptized. Mm. Thanks be to God. And, and, and you mentioned in, in several of these uh, several of these communities and people groups that there are men who are being given to the office of holy ministry who are uh, either in training or or newly ordained to bring this word and sacrament ministry so that they may continue to be sustained in that. That's uh, uh, that's great to hear that they can continue to receive this good word of God so that they may continue bold in faith and in confession. Amen. And, and, and we continue to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and, and, and to make disciples just as Jesus did with the hope that they will feel one day the calling of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and desire to enter into ministry so that they can minister and do word and sacrament ministry to their own people. Well, thanks for those who are who are uh, who are hearing that call, receiving that call, and uh, and carrying that uh, that good word and sacrament ministry out. Tim, it has been a pleasure talking with you today and learning more about Lutheran Indian Ministries. We'll share the link to the website LutheranIndianMinistries.org. Share that uh, on our website today with the uh, the archive of today's program. Tim Young Eagle, Executive Director, Lutheran Indian Ministries. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you so much. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word, right here on the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.